and welcome to another episode of Setting the Tone, a Neo Retrospective, the show where we do a chronological breakdown of every episode of our favorite TV medical drama. My name is Elizabeth, and joining me today, as always, are Lauren. Hello. And Daniel. Hey. Today we'll be discussing Season 4, Episode 16, which is called My Brother's Keeper. The episode aired on March 5th, 1998. Lauren, what was going on that week 23 years ago? In a small victory for gay rights, the U.S. Supreme Court rules that federal laws banning on-the-job sexual harassment also apply when both parties are the same sex. Thanks to data collected by the Galileo space probe, the first craft to ever orbit Jupiter, NASA scientists learn that there is a liquid ocean under a thick layer of ice covering Europa, one of Jupiter's moons. That just has horror. That just has horror <laughs> franchise written all over it. Why? Just because of like all the creepy monsters under the under the ice. Under the sea. Yeah. Under the sea and on a on an alien planet. Sci-fi cult Dark City, starring Rufus Sewell and Jennifer Connolly, debuts, but Titanic is still sinking the competition at the box office, beating second place movie The Wedding Singer at nineteen point six million dollars to eight point seven million. And not content with just box office victories, the iconic ballad from the Titanic soundtrack, My Heart Will Go On, by Celine Dion, is the number one song this week. Mm. Daniel, what else is on? I was wondering how long it was going to take for Celine to worm her way up to number one. I knew that was a big one in 98, so I feel like that one's going to stick it's around up, for a while. It, it's up there for a surprisingly short time. Really? Okay. Is it one of, is it like, because yeah. doesn't Titanic, correct me if I'm wrong, doesn't Titanic drop out of number one at some point and then come back? I think it does. I think Titanic. I would have to look the, at my charts, but I th- that I, I think, use from Box I think Office Titanic, Mojo, but. I think Titanic is one of the few movies that was number one for a stretch, drops out for a little while, and then comes ro- like roaring back. Um, and I think Celine's song might do the same thing, but, uh, what else is on? Not much. This was a night of repeats, uh, ER and, uh, Veronica's closet. were the only two shows tonight, uh, to have a new episode airing. So friends just shoot me and Seinfeld were all reruns on this evening. I looked at the other channels, what they had going on to see if there was something obvious that would be, they would be trying to get out of the way of. And honestly not really like uh over on fox i believe they were running the naacp image awards um so i guess maybe that could have been it but it it's very strange there's not really like a an obvious reason for why everything is in repeats except for veronica's closet and er um but uh the only new episode of the evening 9 30 p.m veronica's closet veronica's divorce papers this episode Oof. had yeah Keeping in with the uh, intriguing episode titles for Veronica's Closet. <laughs> the most intriguing episode titles for the most forgettable show. Uh, this week's episode had 30.3 million viewers tuning in. We're down about 2 million from last week. So, I, again, I don't know if that has something to do with the repeat. Maybe because people saw that everything else was repeats tonight. Maybe they assumed ER would be as well. Or maybe we're dealing with a little hangover after Exodus last week. I'm not sure. Uh, but we are down about 2 million from the previous episode. Uh, this one is directed by Jackie Tobarin or Tobarin, uh, doing her second out of two episodes that she directed. The previous one of hers that we talked about was Postmortem back in season three. And this is written by Jack Orman doing his third out of 28 episodes. Previous ones of his from this season included Do You See What I See and When the Bow Breaks. Uh, Daniel, I just want to say that I am so glad you're handling that portion because if I had had my way, that would have been Jacques, not Jackie. <laughs> and uh, there have been a lot of really angry listeners with me. So just good on you for, for doing the legwork on that one. 
Um, so previously on is brought to us by Carter today, well-earned after last week's episode. And we start off with Mark and Doug in Mark's apartment, and Doug is chilling on Mark's computer trying to finish his research grant presentation last minute. He notes that, you know, Mark has stopped with the gum and is wearing like five patches because he's still trying to quit smoking cigarettes. Says he hasn't smoked one in 56 hours. And we also note that Cynthia's luggage is in Mark's place because of the um, airline snafu a couple episodes ago. Her Mm -hmm. luggage got returned to his place. But they've split up and she's quit working at the ER. So that's inconvenient. Not great, Bob. Yeah. Uh, But Mark goes to drop off her luggage at her place, except not because the place is totally empty. Whoops. Whoopsies. Doors, you think the door would still be locked even if it was unoccupied, but, you know. Drama. Big city oh. real estate, you know, we just leave it open. Doesn't matter. Yeah, exactly. Marcus goes back to the car, though, and lights a cigarette after not having one for 56 hours. It's just a half a cigarette that he finds, like, in an ash, in this oh. ashtray in his Ugh. car, too. So it's not even, like, a, like a good cigarette. It's an old shitty one. Doubly, Stale. doubly gross. Ugh. I do want to point out, though, when Mark goes to light that cigarette, there's a perfectly framed through the window, perfectly framed, amazing old school slice soda logo up on the uh, brick wall on the other side, which I'm a big like I, I don't get nostalgic about soda, really. But that particular thing has a that particular logo. And like, I don't know, I feel like when I was a kid, slice had I probably was in my imagination, but I feel like slice had a lot more flavors when I was a kid, so I have very visceral memories of like going to Kmart and seeing the like slice machine with that logo on it, and it had each fl- each flavor of the soda was a different color. So there was like a red button and okay. a blue button and a purple button, and I don't know. It's just very it was visceral for me. I'm gonna ask a question here because I have no recollection of Slice, and to me, I thought they were just trying to do an off-brand Sprite logo. No, it's Slice is very real, and it, I think it still exists today, but the logo just doesn't look the same as it does, so you might not recognize it from looking at that. That it's a That's is a it very like a, 90s version of the logo. Is it like a Fanta? Yeah, sort of. It's like Fanta or like Sunkissed, like that kind of deal. Like it's like or they, like they, they, squirt? They, they primarily no, would... They would. They primarily did, like, orange and grape soda, but they also had, like, a, a Mountain Dew knockoff and a... Um, yeah. Like a uh, oh god, what am I? I, I guess Fanta so like would be Fago. the closest comparison. Yeah, sort of. Like, but it wasn't a. I mean, I guess maybe it could have been a regional thing. Although this takes place in Chicago, but um, it was sort of a. It was a step above a store brand soda, but it wasn't like mm-hmm. Pepsi or Coke. So I don't know. I should have like RC. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. I should have clearly. I should have done more slice research to <laughs> educate the masses here because I I didn't realize that was such a like personal memory for me seeing that. I was like, hey, it's the slice logo. I just thought that was cool. But uh, in any event, we go in with the bangs. Sixteen for sixteen. If you're keeping score at home for the bangs this season, actually no, sorry, fifteen for sixteen because if you'll recall, the live episode had no intro at all. So there um we 15 come, for 15 15 for where there was there's there 16 episodes yeah okay sure but we come out of the intro and uh we see uh carrie going over the board with anna and who's that maggie doyle doyle lives she's returned from her home planet uh they are reinstating formal rounds and uh she uh carrie comes in to ask doug about his study and presentation that he's going to be doing today and if he's nervous and 
Mark is also coming in at the same time, lies and says he was late because of construction on South Shore. Chicago geography nerds. Probably South Lake Shore Drive is what he means. Yeah, South Shore Drive is so like that. That would imply that he lives or that he was on the far farther south side. Right. Yeah, that's yeah. what that's part of what Lake Shore Drive branches off into mm-hmm. is South Shore Drive. Gotcha. Well, Carrie calls him out on that right away. Uh, is like, what construction? Bubba is such a like nerd, pedantic Carrie thing. <laughs> like, she just can't let it go. Uh, but we don't get too much time to dwell on that as we get our first patient in the episode, a five-year-old seizing. He has suffered two grand mal seizures, three minutes long, and was found at home seizing by the sink. Uh, and as as they are rolling him in, uh, Doyle goes away, ostensibly for the episode because it's the end of her shift, although I think she does make a brief appearance later mm-hmm. on. Uh, mm-hmm. So hi and bye to Maggie Doyle. Uh, and then Carter gives Mark some crap about being smoke-free. What was your well? I guess we don't actually see, we don't actively see the kids seizing, so I guess you can't give a a rating on um, how this is presented. I I can't give a rating to that, but I can speak to holy shit. Um, two seizures, three minutes long each. Mm-hmm. Not great when they're back to back like that. Like your brain's going through some trauma with that, especially in a child. Like especially an with a child, yeah. Like they they do comment on that went a little bit later on. So I will touch on the 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 repeat seizures a bit further on because he he does go into another one here shortly. So, but for now, uh, more Jerry. We love Jerry. Maybe not this episode, but well, <laughs> he's fine. He makes an oopsie doodle. But Jerry's doing some spring cleaning at the admit desk, and Mark is asking for the extension of the personnel office because he needs to get Cynthia her stuff. And Jerry's like, no, she didn't leave a forwarding address. She just picked up her own, her last check-in person a few days ago. And he finds some mystery Twinkies. <laughs> and oh. Jerry, you know, believing the old age-old adage that, you know, after the nuclear holocaust, there will only be, a, there will only be cockroaches and Twinkies. Just be like, oh, they're not that old. Like no, they're, fu- they're I'm sure they're fine. Yep. Yeah, I believe I believe he says that they are dated 1993, and that they have a seven year shelf like life. So he's he's still in they're the clear. Fine. It's fine. Um, but then right as Jerry is stuffing his face with ancient Twinkies, Carol runs out and tells him to call Poison Control for trauma two, because clearly the kid drank something is what we're finding out. He this kid has a temperature of 104. So at first, before we realized he consumed something, I thought maybe he was having febrile seizures, which are, you know, fever-related, but mm-hmm. it turns out that it's, in this case, it's due to toxins because they think he was poisoned with what he drank out of the can that was found nearby him, and they say it was definitely not soda based off the, like, whiff somebody gets of it. No, no history of epilepsy. And he goes into another seizure here, and, like, his, he's fine. Like, a kid's not gonna over or under dramatize a seizure like an adult would Mm -hmm. he just jerks a little bit it's fine like i'm not gonna i'm not gonna bank on a kid for not knowing exactly what a grandma seizure should look like but i do want to note um that yeah there is something that i think it's doug that comments that he's like we got to get him some ativan or something quick or his brain's gonna fry yeah yeah because you (laughs) i've mentioned it before status epileptus is a real thing it's very scary if you cannot get your seizures under control you're having lightning storms in your brain continuously not great not great brain trauma is a thing but you know what is great what is great corday and benton flirting although yes. romano interrupts them so let's listen to them 
Trust me, I took anthropology as an undergraduate. Cro-Magnon man is considered a modern homo sapien just like you. Thank you very much. <laughs> well, I didn't say he was as good looking. <laughs> Fine, let's bet on it. Loser buys lunch. Look, if you want to take me to lunch, just... Well, look at this, Lucy and Ricky. Pardon? You read today's Sun-Times, Peter? There's a feature on our little Lizzie here. I've got a lap coley waiting. Risking her own life, the resourceful British surgeon refused to abandon Leipziger in the twisted rubble, blah, blah, blah. The doctors and the patient's fate were now one. Well, not exactly. You're not walking around with a prosthetic, are you? I read the article, thank yeah, you. I bet you did. You probably bought out the newsstand. Not a very good picture of you, though. Well, we can't all have your devastating good looks now, mm. can we? Despite Dr. Corday's heroic efforts, county general surgeons were unable to save Leipziger's arm. Well, at least they didn't mention me by name. It's an oversight, I'm sure. Be sure you tell uh, Larry King you only fly first class. Oh, almost forgot. There's six-month review. Wish it could be as glowing as the article. So why is Romano so up her ass? He is a dick to her this episode. I was going to say, I think it's because, like, a few episodes ago, she uh, rejected his advances... Yeah, I guess that could have something to do and with it. And, and her getting attention for the whole extrication thing from last time. Yeah, but the tension is brewing. I Usually we have Romano at least having some inspiration for being a dick like this. So this just, this seems, unless you're paying really close attention, like it's completely out of the blue. And usually uh, Lizzie is kind of exempt from it. Like usually he's a dick to everybody right. but, but Lizzie. And so seeing him be so kind of... Uh, like needlessly cruel to her over the course of not not cruel necessarily but just he's just a dick to her the whole time and like it's kind of comes out of nowhere prickly prickly yeah good word he's prickly with her um but then we go back to the five-year-old and his dad brings in all the junk from the house that he could have drank and there is so much crap like paint thinners and solvents in that box yeah, he has he no he, idea like, what the uh, kid drank He's like a photographer or something, he said. So it was like something a dark... Like that, yeah. He uses the garage as like a dark room or something. So there's all sorts of uh, chemicals and things that he uses for development. Um, and the dad here is played by an actor named Robert Nepper, who had recurring roles on like the TV series Prison Break, uh, the, tra- the movie Transporter 3, and The Hunger Games. Then we go check in on Anna and her patient of the episode, which is a John Doe that was dumped by another ER. And he is unresponsive with a GCS of seven. And she was told at the time of transfer that it was concussion syndrome, but that he's, it's likely that he was uninsured and just needed observation. And she says, I knew it was a dump, but this is gross negligence. So she's just straight up bad mouthing this other ER now. Yeah. Cause she, cause she asked like, wait, did this dude de- decompensate and wrote? And I think it's, uh, Doris, I think. Yeah, or that's either Doris or Olbs. I forget who, but either it doesn't really matter. That's my new detail. But she, <laughs> but who, paramedic was like, "Oh no, yeah, he was like that way when we picked him up." Like, what? The, come on, bros. Yeah. Come on. But uh, we go from there to a patient who we the the patient will have an impact on this episode, but we never really see him other than this one scene here. Mm-hmm. Like he's always just referred to for the rest of the episode after this, um, an older patient who was rejected from flying on an airplane, uh, for reasons <laughs> like I, it's not a hundred percent clear. Um, I guess cause he's, he's got a, a bad chest cough it seems. Um, but it's not quite clear why he was, he was rejected from the flight. 
Um, we never even get a name for this patient. He's credited on IMDb as right. Air, uh, he's credited on IMDb as airplane reject. <laughs> so <laughs> charming, Aww. charming title. Um, so he's looking to go to San Francisco to stay with his daughter, but he doesn't have his daughter's number or anything. So this kind of perks Carter's ear up. He's got a chance to to play savior here. Uh, our patient is played by actor Greg Malavy, who seems like he had kind of a, a a little bit of an older television career, like 70s into early 80s. Um, TV series Mary Hartman, Centennial, and Magnum P.I., which if you are, uh, as of when we're recording this, there is some really unexpected, but I guess welcome Magnum P.I. discourse on our Facebook group. <laughs> so go check that out. If you're looking, if you're thirsty for Magnum P.I. Uh, discourse, check out the official Setting the Tone community. But uh, for now, let's go back out to the little kid seizure patient. Uh, he's waking up, and he says, uh, and he informs the doctors that uh, his big brother Eric gave him the the poisons, and he has, and then he goes right into his fourth seizure in a row, fourth seizure in a row, much to Lauren's horrified face right now. <laughs> would that would do you think that would kill him? No, but he'd be pretty fucked up. Like there would there would be some extreme aftercare after that for a couple days at least just yeah. to. I, I think I think you'd be close, but yeah, yeah, I'm not sure exactly what the threshold is for when it's just you're you're boned. Yeah. Well, um, I just I want to say, um, nurse listeners, if you have a better idea than I do, please let us know. Uh, but Doug is chasing down Eric once and once the dad lets him go from screaming at him about poisoning poisoning young Adrian. Um, and there's just another petulant kid that we just, you know, we don't advocate hitting kids, but we want to, but we want to bop this kid in the face. Oh my God. I just, I, I have no patience for child actors and I feel terrible. They're doing their best and I'm just over here like, mm, stop it. Uh, and it turns out Adrian is Eric's half brother and the dad is not, uh, the dad that was her is not Eric's biological father. It's the mother is the kid is is the the relation there um and he shows uh shows doug a bunch of cigarette burns on his arm yikes uh we know how uh we know how doug gets i was gonna say doug's got all the ammo he needs now yeah i was gonna say he's 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 mounting that horse he's mounting that horse to become the white knight that we all know know and love um but turns out uh eric mixed a bunch of uh print developer and with insecticide and once the you tell and Doug tells the parents we're going to take care of both of your kids. Hmm. This episode was really strange to me, and I'm just going to mention this now because like this goes on for the whole episode. It seemed very disjointed. This like, particular storyline or the whole episode? No, the whole episode. It just it felt really like I don't know if maybe it's the week I've had or what, but it just felt really frenetic to me but not in a way that some of the greater episodes are i was just i had a lot of trouble like staying focused on any of the given storylines i don't know when we can cover that at the end but i just i wanted to bring that up because as we're starting to build in to each of these like half the patients don't have names Mm -hmm. or if they do we, we hear them maybe once half of them like yeah there's definitely you're you're definitely right about that like there's a distinct lack of identifiers across patients like there's really not much in the way you get a little bit of it here and there but like it's it's all in passing like if you get it at all it 
It fe- and I'm gonna. This is this is a joke I can make. It feels very much like House, where the patients are only existing to serve the personal <laughs> needs of the doctors. That I mean, that definitely is how I feel about this um, this storyline here. The 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 two little boys. Like I feel like it's very half baked, and I feel like it is. Um, it exists solely to draw a parallel between Chase and Carter later. Well, and we'll find the San Francisco patient situation only exists for Mark to get the idea to use unlisted numbers. Yeah. Which we'll we'll get into that. So, like, each of them, and the other one that we'll get to, there's another impact on Mark, but, -hmm. like, nothing else. So, I I don't know. I just, I found this one really jarring and kind of, I don't want to say difficult to follow, but just, I don't know. So, we'll, we'll get there. But I just wanted to note that here. Um, but then we go into Carter is trying to get Malik to clean up his San Francisco patient or rejected flight guy. And Malik and him are going back and forth. And Carter finally has to get Carol to pull rank to get Malik to clean him up. And Malik just looks at Carter and he's like, watch it. <laughs> so they're going to get him cleaned up and taken care of. And then... Anna says that her John Doe has a brain bleed and is waiting on a neuro consult. And she said the guy should have never been transferred. And there's some stuff here that she mentions where um, the other neurologist didn't even bother to see him at the other ER. Like they paged him for a John Doe and he just never showed up. Yeah. Which will definitely come into play later on. For now, we go over to Mark's next patient. Uh, he's a gentleman with end-stage lung cancer who he's going to have to admit uh, because he could go into respiratory failure because of his secondary effusion, making it hard to breathe. Uh, and our patient here, Mr. Kyle, um, I grabbed the actor's name, Jack Orend, who really had a pretty unremarkable filmography, but I grabbed him strictly because he once played an Illinois Nazi in The Blues Brothers. So I basically just got that so that Lizzie could say... I hate I hate Illinois Nazis. (laughs) Which is so funny, because Lizzie's seen that movie maybe twice and doesn't even like it that much. I have seen that scene well over a dozen times, though. Because it's a beautiful scene, and we should all commit violent acts against Nazis and run them into into the lake and hope they all drown. That movie is amazing, though. That movie is amazing. Carrie Fisher with a bazooka. What's not to love? I've seen, I've never seen the first one all the way through. I saw the second I, one. I made Daniel. you. I made you watch the first one with me when we first. I don't started remember dating. the first one. Well, I remember the second one though. You'll need. You'll, you'll need to, I, I know. know. Yeah, I know what you're trying to bring up, and I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna take your bait. I know. I know what we're watching on Sunday was, as we pack with Jeff. I was gonna say you need to. You need to give that an honest watch because it's a, it's such a love note to Chicago too. Like it's a it's it really it's a very too. it's a very Chicago centric film. And yes, STT Studios is moving, but. We're still going to be in Chicago, so we're fine. We're fine. We're moving less than a mile away. <laughs> I think it's exactly one mile, is what so, it said. So. We're, 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 yes, STT Studios, the, the Lizzie and Lauren branch will still be in Chicago proper. Uh, but let's go back to the episode on, with an audio clip. Uh, Romano and Corday are scrubbing into a surgery. There you are. All ready for this carotid endarterectomy? Apparently you don't think so. Ah, you've had a chance to review your evaluation. I actually thought I was quite generous. Well, I'd hate to catch you on one of your more parsimonious days. (laughs) Let me make something clear. I'm your biggest fan. If I didn't think you showed great potential, I never would have sponsored you in the first place. Then what's the problem? Frankly, you're distracted. 
distracted. Yes, you came here to study trauma surgery, and lately you seem more interested in uh, vocal cords and paramedics. I see. So I suppose I should refocus my energies. Exactly. And speaking of which, I'm starting a new study on the use of hemo-aid in vascular procedures. Have you heard of it? It's the artificial blood. Thought you might like in on it. We could do a paper together. He just wants her attention back. <laughs> Prickly. So do we feel like part of this is because he's genuinely, like, I, I sponsored you as a trauma surgeon. Why aren't you doing more of this? Or do we think it's because her attentions have been so divided from him. I think it's a little bit of both, yeah. honestly. I would say probably 80-20 attention versus, like, her attention not being focused enough on him is the 80, and then the 20 is that he really does think that she is a little distracted. But that's just, again, that, that kind of goes back to the, the Romano personality, you know, like, he he's a dick, and yeah. usually Lizzie is exempt from that, but we're seeing that that's not the case here. I love the word parsimonious. It is a pretty good one. Like that's I need s- stick that in your vocabulary. I need to find a way to work that into my daily cuz that's a good one. Also, parsimonious. Also, can we talk about uh artificial blood? Is that a thing? Like I would like the medical the, Oh yeah. I would like the medical listeners of the show to educate us on that whether if that's it's, A a thing to begin with and B was it some like trendy thing that was big for like six months in 1998 and so they brought it up on this episode because i've never heard of that i have never heard of hemoaid as a thing well it's well well as we all know a japanese company in the mid-aughts you know finally i try (laughs) not finally figured out how to make it and you know so the vampire population could actually have oh is that a a vampire daniel and you swoop in and take it from me you bitch Is that a vampire thing? I have no, like, is that it's a, a true, true blood, blood It's thing. a true blood. Because oh, I'm watching true right. blood again, like yeah. trash. All right. You, I, you saw me trying to talk. <laughs> you saw me sitting here with my hand raised, waiting to make my wonderful reference to mid to late aughts TV, and you you sniped it. It's okay. Uh. Gang, I wish, I wish, I wish my face could be transmitted right now. I wish sometimes we did a video podcast so you could see the look of frustration I'm giving to my lovely partner. Uh. <sighs> so then, um, then we go back to Anna talking to the neurologist about her John Doe, and this is the resident, not the attending, and she is raging about the breach of their Hippocratic oath with the other hospital not taking care of him or giving him any attention because he was a John Doe and potentially didn't have any insurance to cover treatment. And um, the resident says, you know, maybe we could do a frontal lobectomy. It might work, but I'd have to check with the attending and she's up in surgery. So Anna's going to try and push really hard to advocate for this. Um, then we got another, we got, we, have, we haven't had some Mark, we haven't had any Mark and Doug bro audio in a while. So let's get some good old-fashioned Mark and Doug bro audio. Mark's smoking a cigarette out by the dumpster, and Doug, where Doug is uh, dumpster diving, looking for his presentation. Thinks he got thrown away during Jerry's spring cleaning. Uh, hey, time to reset the clock. Oh, yeah. Or at least take off the patch. I did. What are you doing? Oh, the copy place swears that they sent the order over here. The presentation? Yeah, and Jerry said he never saw it. The Jerry was throwing a bunch of stuff out. I knew it. You kept the original? No. You help me out, you're a little out of breath. How's that poison kitchen doing? You're gonna make it medically fine. 
You know, sometimes working with kids is great, but sometimes it really sucks. Yeah. Oh, uh, under that crate. Under that crate, what's that? That's, uh, look at that. What is that? They don't throw biohazard out here, do they? No, it's probably just somebody's pudding. Ugh. And why were you so late this morning? Stop by to check on Cynthia, see if she's all right. Yeah? Is she? I don't know. She wasn't there. She moved. That Victoria's Secret catalog, huh? Look at the label. Lily. Lily. I feel bad. You know, I don't think it was fair. I was pretty selfish. Hey, listen, I know all about being selfish. But what was really wrong with her? I mean, she was, you know, funny, supportive. Good looking. Yeah, she was great in bed. I, I... You know, she was actually nice to me, which was a bit of a departure for most of the women in my life. Call, call her up. I tried. She's unlisted. There it is. I'm gonna kill him. Jay. I I have to note when they're when they pull out the Victoria's Secret catalog and Clooney's like, ooh, Lily. Like it's it's implied that it's scandalous that Lily gets a catalog for bras and underwear. Oh no, a woman shopping for bras and underwear I think at, it's, a, at a bra and underwear retail store. I think it's because they were supposed to be like really sexy bras and underwear, oh. especially well, around then. Secret. Yeah. For the 90s, that's that, that qualifies as the sexy store. I like uh, Mark's subtle poop joke where he's, <laughs> Doug's like, they don't throw away biohazard here, do they? And he goes, no, that's probably somebody's pudding. So I like his his subtle little little poop joke, and I also too I also like Doug giving Mark shit for smoking, where he's like, "You want to yep. you want to help me with this, or are you too out of breath?" Like it's little like the the subtle like among friends needling of like you, your friends doing something they're not supposed to do, and you're like giving them shit for it. I just I like, and it. I love I I love um Doug running in with the Kinko's box, Jerry. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like we got we got to have words, friend. And then after Doug runs in, Mark lights a cigarette right as his earlier lung cancer patient is being wheel- wheeled out and gives him just the, the patient gives him kind of like the death glare. And it's super awkward. And Mark just kind of like half averts his gaze. Like, oh, my God. Busted. Yep. Um, rethink your life choices there, buddy. Um, and then we go over to Jeannie and Scott hanging out. So here's the two best friends, and I love them. They're watching soaps together <laughs> while he's getting his chemo, and I freaking love it. They're really, they're really dissecting this whole soap opera that's going on. And Scott says, "Oh, you're prettier than she is." And Jeannie is so touched because, like, she's like, "Oh, that's the nicest thing anybody said to me in the past like two years," which is really cute. Then he goes, "Oh, next week now that my chemo's done, can we go see a movie instead?" And she tries to politely dodge it because it is that whole like um, professional boundaries thing since she's been his caregiver and she knows she kind of knows he has a crush on her. So she she kind of shuts down a little and or he shuts down a little when she avoids giving him a day that they can go to the movies. And he's like, well, that's fine. I don't need any friends anyway. You would have picked a stupid movie. (laughs) So he, he he does he does the Scott thing that's done well. Of just like he he closes himself off to defend himself from getting hurt. Right. Besides, Scott probably hasn't seen Titanic yet, so that's clearly the movie they're gonna go what see. Well, he's never. I'm not gonna get into it because <laughs> it's a scene a little bit later on. So, 
and they have we should mention too they've spoiled. they've turned up the intensity a little bit on the scott storyline here too because now yeah. since the last time we saw him he has now lost all of his hair which i yes. think at this point in the episode he's still hiding under a hat but yeah by the end still, of the episode he's still got the cap on by the end of the episode he's lost the hat so uh, but for now, we go back down to the ER and we see Adrian's mom uh, asking Doug what is up with her boys and why they haven't been released. Uh, he says that they're waiting for uh, DCFS to come and evaluate the situation, which puts her immediately on the defensive and says that, you know, Keith, the father, he has to be strict to keep them in line, you know. And uh, in regards to the cigarette burns on his arms, Eric did that to himself. And this family just seems like a whole big hot mess. Like, just... A hoot and a half. Who oh boy. It's a hoot. It's a hoot. Uh, <laughs> uh, we then switch over to Carter, still trying to find out what's going on with his homeless man. Uh, we find out that he is... Uh, his main issue is that he was apparently trying to pass a kidney stone, and he has since done that, and so now he's free to leave. Uh, this is, like I said, kind of the point of the episode where we... We never really stop referring to Carter's patient, but we never see him anymore. So we're, we're just going to refer to him from here on out. Um, we hear that multiple ODs are going to be coming in from a party uh, via the ambulance. And as Carter is called away, Mark uses the hospital resources uh, to try and track down Cynthia's unlisted number because he has had no luck finding her address or phone number thus far. So kind of uses Carter's patient as a backdoor into getting... Uh, getting Cynthia's digits. Uh, Jeannie comes back to Scott's room to find that he is gone, and the nurse at the desk says that uh, he was discharged about 10 minutes ago. So Scott hit Jeannie with the old okey-doke. And our first OD patient comes in. Turns out they're all heroin. Uh-oh. Apparently it's, they all wanted to try, they all wanted to try this stuff that they heard killed someone in Detroit. The new hotness. <laughs> yeah. Lovely. <laughs> the dialogue from the paramedics here reads like the most like dateline or like just out of touch parent stuff talking about drugs and like they like he's like they heard about this stuff from Detroit and it killed somebody apparently and they couldn't like it's just kind of the most like I don't I feel like anybody who actually has ever done drugs probably has never talked about drugs in that way like it just didn't seem like a very realistic bit of dialogue about that but but uh, Anna calls Carter into the other room uh, and turns out. Chase is the second OD patient. Whoopsies. Nope. Yikes. Uh, yeah, when we and Lauren and I both noted in the notes, Carter should not be in the, in on that nope. trauma because he immediately comes in and starts bossing people around. No, that should not be a thing. Yeah, I don't. I, Anna, yeah. Anna probably should have used a little better judgment on that. Shouldn't have called him in. Yeah, there. especially especially because Chase is uh, down for the count right now. Um, they th- they think he may. What? Sorry, just. It's a little more mild than he actually is. I'm trying to... I know, I know. Go ahead. We hear that uh, Chase may have aspirated, so choked on his own vomit. Um, fun times. And, yeah, like like we said, why are they letting Carter run the trauma? Anna should be kicking him out. Like, Carter is, like, shocking him and ordering beds and doing all of this stuff. Um, Carol points out that Chase is probably brain dead, uh, but they uh, but they do get him back. Uh, and he was down for about 40 minutes after the paramedics got to him in the first place. No clue how long it was before he went down before then. So, uh, yeah, brain damage, huh? Yeah, what a... I mean, hindsight, not, hindsight not being great. what it is, you know, obviously we know what happens to Chase ultimately, but, like, 
this was a mistake like you he should not he should not have fought this hard to bring him back for what like for for what quality of life is he going to have from here on a lifetime of care yeah in the best facilities possible i know it's like it's a goes like it's a good thing he's rich like so you know at least he won't be in a shitty home where they ignore him and abuse him Mm. yep um so then from there we go over to lizzie and benton have gone on a trip to the field museum i believe i think so yeah, that's think... what the campus looks yeah. like so they went into the field museum to look at the whole cro-magnon man and you know homo sapien display so she can prove that she's right and you know lizzie's talking about the whole romano situation and she says that she feels like a kept woman because she needs romano's sponsorship to stay in the u.s and they run into jackie who we haven't seen in a while. So hi, Jackie. And, um, you know, Peter says, oh, I was just showing her around, you know, blah, blah, blah. Jackie says, wow, you're really lucky. Peter's not usually so generous with his time. Peter goes, yeah, it's important that we support our colleagues. Just super (laughs) awkward. And Lizzie chimes in with, we support each other quite often. (laughs) And Jackie just, I love her. I I love everybody in this scene. They're all so good. There's there's such good like nonverbal acting happening here too. Everybody just nails it. Just like hmm hmm hey, so that's great. Lizzie's met the ex. Lizzie's met the sister. Let's get this shit going. Then we see Mark is now in the lounge, presumably trying to call Cynthia, but he is interrupted by Doug. I don't remember if Doug comes in to ask him a question. It's nothing too important. But we see that Mark is still trying to get a hold of Cynthia. And it's like, my dude, just let it go, please. Yes, please. Let this nightmare be over. And then we go up to the ICU where Card is checking in on Chase. Uh, not very uh, not very much brain activity going on there. But there is some. So, you know, I guess it's better than none. I don't know. Yeah. This Just just let me die. If, yeah. If, yeah, no, I would rather, I'd rather just donate my organs, let me, let me pass on, let me help some people one last time. No, thank you. This seems like a fate worse than death to me. What Chase is, what, what's going on with Chase right now? Um, Carter's kicking himself for not getting him into a proper detox program, and uh, Chase's parents are coming in from Singapore, but uh, Gamma and... The grandfather. Will this be the first time we see the grandfather? I think so. This will be the first of only two times we will ever see Grandpa Carter. Okay, well, we will meet Grandpa Carter a little bit later. Um, Then Mark's lung cancer patient is back again, and he wouldn't let paramedics intubate, so they're bringing him in on the gurney just, you know, with with the mask and trying to get oxygen to him that way. But he's really, really struggling. You know, there's not really much they can do for him guy sounds like he's choking on his own air as they try to you know help him get oxygen but you know mark says yep we'll try and stabilize you we'll do the best we can and we kind of leave them in the trauma room and anna's john doe his son has shown up uh he's not john doe anymore um anna has to explain what happened read the guy's burst aneurysm rupture and that that was likely the cause of the motorcycle crash that he was in in the first place, not that the crash caused the brain trauma. And um, 
She tells the son that there is a slight chance of survival with this operation. That has not been greenlit by Neuro yet. So Anna, you really shouldn't be saying anything. Whoopsies. Like I know you're feisty. I know you're feisty to get the dude taken care of, but this was not Anna's place to say. Correct me if I'm wrong, and this just popped into my head. But correct me if I'm wrong. Way back end of season three, when Anna joined the group here, was it not mm-hmm. presented that she was? primarily a pediatrician or was a pediatric and she's I don't think she has spent more than like 10 seconds working on a child this entire season like her entire time on the show they have just completely forgotten about the fact that she's a pediatrician that just popped into my head I was like huh she's supposed to be a pediatrician she's supposed to kind of be I mean and her and Doug kind of butted heads for a little while at the very beginning of the season but then they just sort of were like ah fuck it she's not a pediatrician let her treat everybody yep well, we have to keep her and Carter together. It's true. We need to keep them in close quarters. We got a, we got an ill-advised romance to. It's just not that ill-advised. I actually, I don't mind Anna and Carter that much. They're of all of Carter's problematic pairings, they're pretty low on the list. But uh, for now, we go back to the admit desk where we uh, see Weaver reminding Doug that it is time to go present. He tries to duck out uh, when a uh, pediatric patient comes in, and uh, Carrie is like, "Nope, I'll take care of it. You go present. Wouldn't want you to be late." Doug's clearly stalling and is not excited about going to present his research. Uh, and then we see Jeannie going off to uh, the Anspa, what, what is essentially the Anspa Manor. Like, it is a huge fucking house that she shows up at to check on Scott. Uh, beautiful house, in spite of its size. Uh, we then also meet a, a uh, daughter Anspa. Uh, Yvette, who we had never heard of and, and to my knowledge will never speak of ever again. I don't think Yvette is a character who persists. Certainly not this actress. This is the the, the little girl playing Yvette. This is her one and only appearance. Uh, but I don't think there's any recasting either. I think Yvette Anspa just kind of aspirates into the clouds. Like she's just gone forever after this. But Jeannie brings Scott his uh, Zofran uh, when she finds him puking into the toilet in the bathroom. And she tries to uh, make amends with him here. And she's like, uh, you know, I thought even though your treatment's over, I thought we could still be friends. He kind of blows her off. And he's like, I need all the fr- I have all the friends I I want. And Jeannie's like, well, that sucks because I need all the friends I can get. So they, these two are a very good pairing here. I really I really like the dynamic between Jeannie and Scott. I I really wish we had been closer to this point in her storyline when we had spoken to Gloria Rubin, because now mm-hmm. that so much of this is fresh, right. I'm like, can you come back and just talk more <laughs> about this, please? Yeah. Like, can we have... Yeah, I mean, it's it's not as, like, culturally um, impactful as her HIV storyline was, but right. it's, I think, every bit as kind of well done on her part and, and on... on uh, Scott's part too, Trevor Morgan's part, the actor. Like I think, I think those two work very well off of one another. They have a very good chemistry, so it's a good pairing. Uh, we'll go back downstairs to the ER. Um, there's a doctor down there try, trying to, to uh, get some organ donation paperwork started with John Doe, but Anna says it isn't the time, and she tries to advocate with the neuro attending for the surgery. And the son is pissed and wants a second opinion. Yikes. And uh, the organ donation doc here is pulling double duty. Uh, the actress who plays her, Lisa Dinkins, uh, she also appeared in season two, episode nine, uh, Home, as a surgeon in Milwaukee. That was the episode where uh, 
Rachel and Jennifer got into a car accident in Milwaukee and Mark had to run off to that mm. weird remember that weird hospital he went to where everything looked like it was straight out of the 70s uh, yep. that she was the surgeon that was working on or had worked on uh, Jennifer in that episode so gotcha good catch um, but then the neurologist attending Dr. Mack chews Anna out a little bit and tells her, know what the hell you're talking about before you play on somebody's hope. Damn. Like, she she knows Anna's trying to do its best for her patient, but she's like, if you had listened and, like, actually consulted before talking to the patient's family, you would have known this wasn't an option. Yeah. Speaking of... You shouldn't... Speaking of Dr. Mack here, there's another double... Well, not double duty in the same way, like, not two separate characters, but... She was the doctor who Benton consulted with for like two seconds back in the Christmas episode with the guy that was like blind, mm. but not really. Mm-hmm. She, he was looking at a CT scan or an x-ray for like two minutes. And this this lady like popped in, looked at it and was like, yeah, he should be blind. Bye. And then disappeared. They actually brought her back. They brought back the same doctor for this one. Gotcha. But then we have Carter talking to Gamma and his grandpa about what happened with Chase there is probable brain damage, and Carter says it could run anywhere from memory impairment to chronic vegetative state. We just won't know until he's awake. And Grandpa chews Carter out for not insisting Chase go to rehab or telling the grandparents it was going on. Just very verbal lashing here. Yeah, yeah this is clearly not Chase fault. Chase's fault for making poor decisions. This is Carter's fault. Right. Carter's the one it's to only blame could here. be Carter's fault. Let's talk about Grandpa Carter. So Grandpa Carter yeah. here, first time we're seeing him, as I said earlier, first of only two times we will see him uh, through 2001. So this is his first appearance. So I guess he's going to go away for three years and we will see him one more time in 2001. Uh, but he is played by he's played by what might be the most interesting man in the history of the world. Uh, George Plimpton is the actor's name who uh, his other acting credits included Goodwill Hunting, Nixon uh, and Just Cause. As I said, first of two appearances through 2001, and he passes away himself in 2003. But he was not primarily an actor. He was primarily a journalist, uh, and he was hmm. he was actually present at RFK's assassination. He was like a close personal friend of RFK and was actually what the fuck? he was there for the assassination. He also played goalie for several minutes in an NHL game in 1977. Uh, I think in a preseason game, uh, played quarterback in a like a semi-professional football game uh, for (laughs) like he did primarily like sports journalism and stuff. So he he was very involved with sports, but he also had a comedy act in Las Vegas and played for a time with the New York Philharmonic Orchestra. Like this guy was like total Renaissance man was like had every had his hand in every possible pursuit. Like it's so go read his George Plimpton go read at least read his Wikipedia page because it's fascinating this guy did everything wow I mean emergency goalies are a thing in the NHL yeah like literally just a couple dudes that they have on the sidelines just in case someone needs one of the opposing teams or one of the teams goes through their all their goalies yeah and I think the Blackhawks had to use one a couple years ago and everyone lost their shit because he actually made like he played for like most of the third period and like shut out the opposing team. Yeah, well then that's kind of the deal here like what I was reading like the the game he played in actually ended up going to penalty shots and he saved a shot that ended up winning them the, like they ended up winning that game his team 
ended up winning that game. <laughs> so it's just like, I mean, and you look at him and it's like, he is just the, other than his voice, which is probably the most notable thing about him. Cause he does have a very distinctive right. voice and a very distinctive way of talking. But if you're looking at him, you would just think like, he's just an old dude. Like they just, they, they cast old dude number five from central casting, but he's, he is got this rich backstory to him uh, as a person. That's just really fascinating to read up on. Daniel, I almost nominate him for You May Remember Me. I know, like, it kind of might be worth looking into deeper, because, like, I had never given a second... I mean, I I, I didn't even really remember. I think we talked about this when Gamma first showed up. Like, I didn't even really remember that we ever got to see Grandpa Carter, so it's... Gampa. Yeah, Gampa. So, like, I, I... I, I never gave him a second thought, and now that like I've read up on all this stuff, like he's definitely something somebody worth exploring further for sure. Um, then we go over to Doug is at the med school doing his research presentation, and I want to note here, and I I don't know if you guys caught this, but it looks like the audio is kind of off sync as Carrie walks in. Like Doug is still talking, but his mouth movements do not match the audio. Mm, good catch. So that might that might be worth. That might be worth checking out again, but when I when I looked, maybe my brain just derped for a second, but it looked like it was out of sync to me. Um, but Carrie, in true Carrie fashion, asks a question at the very end of the presentation, because of course she did. Because Doug looks like he's got it all handled, looks like he did a great job, and Carrie. All right, and I pulled this next audio clip, not necessarily because it's anything like earth-shattering, you know, for most people, but... You know, uh, Romano wants Corday to recommit herself to trauma surgery. So we need to bring we need to bring uh, Corday down to the ER. So let's see who she encounters on the way down. Dr. Green, do you have a minute? Hey, you've been here for six months. You can call me Mark. All right, uh, Mark, I know this sounds rather morbid, uh, but as you say, I've been here six months and I haven't had as much trauma experience as I had hoped. Mm -hmm. So uh, I was wondering if you might be able to advise me on the times that a, a surgeon might sign up for ER coverage. Well, I hope you don't mind nights and weekends. No, that's uh, what I presumed, actually. Listen, the gunshot wounds and the knife wounds kind of taper off in the winter, mm -hmm. but spring's just around the corner. Dr. Green, we need you. Trouble one now. What is it? Lung cancer patients coding. As I was watching, I knew Lizzie was going to pull this. Like, I knew Lizzie was going to perk up for this. I, I, okay, so I'm going to thoroughly enjoy our time that we have with Corday and Benton. But all good things must come to an end. <laughs> and they must open the door to the best things in this entire show. Lizzie, is your brain just constantly playing White Flag by Dido for the two of them? Go down with this ship. I was gonna say, yep. when they have that very like casual, you know, uh, you know, Doctor Green interact, like when she introduces herself at the thing, I was just, I was picturing one of those like Instagram videos that people do of like character ships and stuff, like the blurry, yep. the blurry filter around yep. the edges and like the goofy music swelling in the background, like. Well, like. Like I told you the other day on my way to work for no reason, my brain just decided it was going to do one of those videos to Hey Jealousy for um, Carol and Doug. So, like, I'm in control of my life. <laughs> Lauren, you just need to make Twitter fan cams. That's really what you need to do. That's your calling. I I don't have time. That's fair. But it begins. It does. But does it really? Not, not really. Not really, but, but it, I mean, it, but, they've, they've at least made... I think this... Is this the first time they've ever made contact? Second. 
Second. Yeah, like the second, second I think. Second, yeah. okay. I think the live episode is Oh, the that's first. right. Yeah, they, they so. do meet briefly in that. But so. I'm just going to say this. I am here to rain on Lizzie's parade throughout this that entire show. Oh, no. Me, I just you and me, to- Lauren. Right here. We're right here. Like, I... I, I don't I don't buy Lizzie and and Green. I don't. I just I don't buy it. Gang, I am I am blinking twice. I am I am trapped. <laughs> Lizzie, it's get me okay. out of here. You can during this watch through. Maybe maybe our discussions in the podcast will change my mind. Yeah. No. I, I'm. I'm. When have I ever changed your mind on anything? I'm here to be convinced. Like, tell me I'm wrong. Like, tell me how I'm wrong. But I just I don't I don't buy it. I'm curious to see what Jake will think when we get to that. Me too. Point. Oh, I'm sure he's gonna agree with you too. <laughs> No, because I there can mu- almost no, guarantee. No, there must be balance in well, the Mark, force. Well, Mark's kind That's of true. ruined for him at this point, though. So I think he might yeah. he might be anti just based on that. But we'll see how how Mark pulls himself season out. Five. Yeah, pulls himself out of the the gutter with Jake over the next season or so. Uh, but as you heard at the end of the clip, there Yosh comes in uh, calling Mark off because the uh, lung pa- his lung cancer patient is coding, uh, and so they come in and he's very like. I will say he's very like uh, theatrically placed on the floor. Like he's he does not look like somebody who fell out of bed. He's very like neatly placed on the floor, like arms at his side. They think he hit his head when he fell, but as they get him back up onto the gurney, they discover that he's actually got a gunshot wound on his head. And my question is, uh, they do find a gun I- as well. Uh, but my question is, no one in this ER heard a gunshot in the trauma room, like. No one. I mean, it's Chicago. They just think it's like the it's like the weather like, changing. It's just it's like a it's like a everywhere. revolver. It's not like he's like you know an assassin with a silencer or anything. Like he's sitting here with a, a revolver and shot himself. Even if he used a pillow, I feel like it still would have made a pretty big noise and not a peep. Like no one heard this. Um, and I think it's Elizabeth who uh, says, "Does suicide count mm-hmm. as a DNR?" Which, uh, yep, and then Mark calls is it a, is a cold line, but is also a good line. Like it's, it's a pretty, it's I a mean, pretty yeah. cold sentiment. But like, damn, what a line! Jake, yeah. feel free to correct me on this, but I believe based on later storylines with different with that that we see, I believe the answer is no. Right? Yeah, I, 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 well, I would think my think uneducated about, opinion would about, be no. Think about suicide attempts getting brought into the ER. Yeah, they always bring them back. Like, yeah, when, yeah. I mean, they always yeah. attempt to so bring my, them back. My, yeah, my my guess is no. I think it makes for a beautiful line right here, given what we've seen of this patient. But overall, I don't think so, literally. Yeah. Uh, so let's go back up to the ICU where Carter's having a conversation with Gamma. Who's Graves? You called him away from a union negotiation. He'll have a strike on his hands starting at midnight if he doesn't settle it. And I'm heading uptown to this Kenner Neurology Institute. Right, well, Chase needs to be stable before he can be moved. Right now, his blood pressure is being supported by intravenous medications, and he's having the occasional heart arrhythmia. Thank you, John. I've spoken to the internist. I don't need you to explain it to yeah, me. Well, I'm sorry. If I could go back and change this, I would. I assumed if he really needed help, he'd ask. He did. He asked me. Did he tell you what made him start? Maybe he just felt overwhelmed. That's something I've never understood about your generation, or your parents, for that matter. In our day, we embraced our responsibilities. They defined us. I don't blame you for this, John, but I know you blame us. 
I don't. Yes, you do. All your lives you've been indulged and considered it oppression. You look after him tonight. Good. I'll be back in the morning. Is it just me or does Gamma kind of suck this episode? Yeah. Like, this is not the empathetic, like, secret awesome Gamma that we've seen in previous episodes. Uh-uh. No. She's kind of kind of rude. Kind of uh, not my favorite in this episode. Like, she doesn't really push back on Grandpa Carter being a dick to Carter earlier. And here she goes, like, full boomer and is like, your generation doesn't blah, 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 whatever. Like, right? I just... Like, I mean, I do... I do kind of understand what she's saying when she's like, we've doted on you and you called it oppression. Like, that part I kind of get, but that's also disregarding a lot of the societal pressures that go into coming up in money like that. Yeah. Like, it's a different kind. It's it's nowhere near actual oppression, but it's a different kind of pressure. Right. It's, it's sort of, it has very current echoes of, like, the way that the royal family is treating Prince Harry. Like, how, like, you know, we don't, He's like, hey, I have mental health issues. And they're like, well, you're rich. Suck it up, bitch. Like, you know, like, it's just, there's, uh, which is an oversimplification. It's an oversimplification, but it's, it's no less shitty. And then from there, in someone actually making a responsible choice and reflection on their life compared to Gamma and Carter, uh, Mark dumps all his cigarettes in the toilet and flushes them. Yay, Mark. Good for you. I guess, I mean, like, cool. Uh, we're doing this. We're gonna we're gonna wrap this smoking subplot. Cool. Hopefully, it goes with the goatee. Yep. Um. And then we have Doug, Doug and Carrie like are running back into the ER, just storming in. Doug is chewing Carrie out for almost releasing a two month old baby with sepsis, and he's pissed because he has to redo a part of his study because she called him out in front of the peds staff, and he's saying that now any like children can't be examined and released without a peed sign off because of this. Like, he's like, this is bullshit. You clearly don't know what you're doing. She's like, you're just saying this because I asked you a question, blah, blah, blah. So the Doug and Carrie stuff is ramping back up to 11. We're getting back into the feud. And then um, we find out, like, as as they're yelling at each other, all of a sudden DCFS is walking away with Eric. And uh, Doug's like, where are you going? What's, what's going on with this? What's, like, what's happening? He needs support, blah, blah, blah. And it turns out Eric shows no signs of remorse for poisoning Adrian, and they are transferring him to a facility because he can't control his rage, and they also suspect that the cigarette burns on his arms may have been self-induced as well. So he needs a little bit more intensive care. Well, the good news is uh, Maggie Doyle has completed her revolution around the sun and has returned once again from her home planet back for another shift. Uh, and then we, we quick cut over from there to Anna watching her John Doe patient and his son. Uh, and the organ donation counselor is coming down to talk to him. Uh, she apologizes for how this was all handled and the lack of communication. Uh, and then we see the surgeon from Bell Armin, uh, who refused to look at him as a John Doe, is now here to treat him because he's suddenly named and worth it. Great. Are we ready for the, the final, Ugh. the last gasp of Mark and Cynthia? Ugh. Let's close the door on this very unfortunate chapter. All right. After Mark, after after Mark shows up at her place while she's doing dishes.
Hello? Hello? Mark. Hi, is this, uh, is this a bad time? Uh, what are you doing here? I got your luggage. Oh, right, sure, hold on. How did you find me? Can I come in? Oh, um, sure, of course. Um, we can put them right there. Thank you. I was uh, wondering how I was going to get those back. So, how are you? I'm, uh, you know, good. Same, same old stuff. What about your mom? Better, some days. How about you? I'm okay. It's a nice place. Oh. Yeah, I, I got a new job, uh, administrative assistant for a law firm, so. That's great. Yeah. So surprised when I came back and you weren't working at the ER. Well, I, I thought I needed to, I needed a fresh start and couldn't really do that with you there, could I? Uh, guess not. Mom? Oh, Jason, honey, what, what, what are you, what are you doing up? I'm thirsty. Okay, I'll get you a glass of water, but then you've got to go back to bed, okay? Jason, this is my friend, Dr. Green. Hi, Jason. Here you go. Jump in there, sweetie. Sleep well. You got him back. Yeah. Good for you. Thanks. I, I, I didn't just come here to give you your luggage. Oh. oh. I made a big mistake. Mark, you don't need to apologize. No, no. I uh, went after you. I was a big girl and I knew what I was doing. No, no. I think I made a big mistake. I mean, we were, we were great together. Mark, you don't love me. I deserve better. You do. I could, uh... No. You can't. Ugh. Why, why am I Mark in this moment? Like, why, why is it now that she's leaving that I'm suddenly like, oh, no, you are good. Like, you, <laughs> like, you, there is actually something in there. There's, there's light at the end of that tunnel. Yeah, like, uh, like, why did it take for her last appearance to, for her to suddenly be a human? Right? Like this is the this is the, she's had that moment of clarity. This is the best she's been the entire time, and it's the last ten seconds she's on screen. She needed Mark to disappoint her and screw her up to unscrew everything else that's been going on and break her out of her shitty patterns. I guess so, but like go her. I'm glad she's getting her life together. As we're saying goodbye to mm -hmm. her, like it's time for her to go anyway. And I'm so glad that they like. Instead of having her take him back, I'm so glad that they made this decision that she was done. Yeah. And to just have her write her off, write them off maturely, be done. How do how do we feel now that Cynthia's gone? I mean, I sort of feel the same way. I'm glad I'm glad it's over. Not glad we even had it at all. I'm glad, <laughs> glad it's over. Not glad it happened. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Opposite I, of that I, saying. Yeah. Pretty pretty much. I'm glad we had a chance to have uh mariska hargitay on the show yeah because she's a fantastic actress and she was great in this role but yeah just the character is so was so unnecessary and I, I think part of it too is which we may have touched on this before but i think part of it too is is 
for us going back and watching it with the benefit of hindsight and and having her be pretty much immediately after this being so um indelibly linked to the character of olivia benson who is so complete 180 from cynthia hooper like they couldn't those two characters could not possibly be any more different so i think it's hard for us to mm-hmm. accept her in this role as this like complete mess of a human being who has no like up until this last 10 seconds here has no like personal agency and like has no spine of any kind to then try to contrast that with this very strong very you know very bold character it's like i think that's part of it too i think that's part of what's made cynthia so off-putting this time where we're just like oh man you are you are just th- th- you're this is not the best use of mariska hargitay's talents like she does fine with it she does a great job with it with what she's given but like she can obviously do so much better which like we've said she'll go on to do and almost right after this we we even see her doing it better here at the end right yeah like it's even an illustration of what they've done with the range of the character from how she starts to how she ends here so but then we wrap up the episode with Carter is sleeping at Chase's bedside when the nurse comes in to tape his eyes, which Carter takes the tape and does it for her. And Noah Wiley here is so magically emotive, even without words. Hmm. Yeah. This should be better. Not this scene, I mean, but the episode. Mm-hmm. Like, this, this, yep. this episode yeah. should be better and it should mean more. And it, 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 yeah, it's a solid B minus C plus from me. There was, it's about, yeah, C plus B minus for me. Yeah. Like this, this should be a, which it kind of is narratively. It is kind of a major defining moment in Carter's growth arc. Um, but in terms of like actual significance and like actual, like, I don't know, like, like, like Lauren was saying, you know, earlier in the episode, like, no one, no one plot thread in this episode really takes center stage the way that it should. Obviously, the 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 easy pick or the one the obvious pick would be Carter and Chase, and even that doesn't feel like it gets top billing here. It, it, it doesn't feel like any one storyline really gets the um, appropriate amount of focus. Right. Like I'm trying to think what I would even pick for the a plot, and I disagree with you that it's Carter and Chase, but I can't think what I would pick instead. Yeah, but yeah. And what I'm saying is that that should be like I, I think that what you should have done right. from a writing perspective, I think you should have started. You should have worked backwards. You should have said, okay, Chase is going to have an overdose. Right. It's going to really affect Carter, and it's going to kind of affect things going forward. For ripple. it's going to have a ripple effect, and build the episode backwards from there, and they didn't really do that. Like they just kind of, everything is sort of muddled. Like, you know, and the way story, I get what they were trying to do with trying to draw parallels with certain storylines, but because of the way that the story was structured, none of them really like kind of gelled the way you want them to. Nope. So it is just sort of, and it's not even one of those episodes where I can say like, man, the stuff that really works works you know it's one of those it's just messy yeah it's just kind of messy and like it, it, it honestly takes away from the stuff that should be really good like this stuff with carter here at the end where like you said he doesn't even have to speak words in order to get an emotional point across um but because everything up to that moment was so kind of muddled and messy it kind of takes away from it and it's it's disappointing i almost feel like and hear me out we should have had, um, like you said, the OD mm-hmm. be the A plot, 
have Doug's thing be the B plot, mm-hmm. have um, Mark and Cynthia be the C plot, mm-hmm. and then not even have Scott and Jeannie in this episode. As much as I love them, they've been kind of put on pause anyway. It could have waited. We didn't need them in this episode, mm-hmm. and we should have really organized and buffed out those three storylines better. And I, I would counter that with saying keep Scott and Jeannie in but consolidate mm-hmm. Doug's storyline. And by that, I mean make Doug's entire thing, this whole episode, the research thing. Like, get rid of the brothers thing, like the the, the two kids. Right. Get rid of those. Like, because ultimately they don't matter. And I think Fair. the only reason they're there is to draw some sort of sloppy parallel. With, because the episode's titled My Brother's Keeper, which is obviously a reference to... It, it, it's a literal reference to the, the two kids, but it's uh it's right. a less literal reference to Carter and Chase. And right. so it's it's really only there to serve this kind of weird, you know, sloppy parallel between the two of them. You get rid of that storyline, you just let Doug focus on the story uh the uh, research project storyline and yep. keep all the other stuff and and really put the focus on Carter and Chase and that whole dynamic i mean they could have done some flashback stuff they could have really fleshed out right. a lot more of their backstory we could have we could have had some more from anna because she's dealt with this with her boyfriend right. so I mean, there's there's a lot there, this, like, there's I, a lot of meat left on the bone of this episode like there's a lot of things you could doyle could have consoled anna mm-hmm. yeah there's there's so many things you could have done with this episode that they just for whatever reason didn't and i just I don't know, and, and it, you know it's a tough act to follow you're coming off of an all-time great episode last week. Right. Tough act to follow no matter what. It's always going to feel like a letdown after an episode like that. But this one in particular is just, like I said, it's just messy. Did it have to let us down this hard? Mm-hmm. Gang, I promise you we do like the show. <laughs> we really do. It's just we have to do this from a place of love so the ones that shine bright shine even exactly. brighter. What did the listeners think about it, though? Let's start with Franner W. says, okay. So hear me out. Doug Ross isn't that great a doctor from an academic point of view. His methods for the study are sloppy. Therefore, Carrie was right to challenge his methodology, even though at the time 19-year-old me hated hated her for it. He heals from his heart, which is a wonderful attribute and why he is so good as a pediatrician. But sometimes, not wanting to see children in pain cannot be the only influence you take when being a doctor and wanting to innovate at the same time. Innovation takes discipline, which he doesn't have. This, I think something is right, so I will forge on ahead mentality is also evident in his actions, too, like the surprise wedding a few episodes back. And then Lydia M. says, in response to Franner W., I loved Doug just like everyone else at the time, but as I've gotten older, OMG, he drives me nuts and is so toxic sometimes. Healing from the heart is a perfect analogy, but when he drags others into it, like Carol, then it becomes so toxic. It's like those BuzzFeed listicles of villains who aren't villains anymore. Carrie Weaver is on my list for that, and Doug is on my heroes who are actually not listicle. I love him, but my God, I could not work with him. Absolutely. All right, well, that's about going to wrap up our episode for today. Thank you all very much for listening, as always. The show is brought to you in part by our patrons over at patreon.com slash podcast. For only a dollar a month, you can get access to our show notes each week. For only $5 a month, you can get a free sticker featuring our favorite desk clerk, Cherry, two-week early access to all of our cast and crew interviews, and over a dozen hours of bonus audio and video content, including the full season recap episodes, a bonus show called The Lounge, where we talk about whatever's going on for us in our lives at that moment, movie reviews, where we talk about a movie featuring an ER cast member, and flash-forwards, where we do a commentary track for future ER episodes. 
We'd also appreciate it if you would follow us on our social media accounts. We are at Set the Tone ER on Twitter. We are on Facebook at facebook.com slash Setting the Tone Podcast. And we are at Setting the Tone Podcast on Instagram. Also be sure to check out the official Setting the Tone community on Facebook. Our theme music is provided to us by Andrew M. Edwards. And Daniel, where can folks find you at? They can find me on Instagram at dan.u. That is Y-O-U dot E-L. They can also find me on my other podcast, The Popular Court, with my co-host Jake Terrell, where we do a different pop culture topic each episode and put it through a little mock trial. And Lauren, where can folks find you at? Folks can find me on my personal Twitter at lowbob92345, begging you to rate and review us on iTunes. Yes, please do. And other apps, too. There's some other apps that allow you to okay. have reviews as well. So. Anywhere, please. We beg you. Yeah. Uh, and you can also find me on Twitter. I am at randomgamer. That's J-A-M-3-R. As well as on the Popular Quartz YouTube channel doing a Let's Play of Mass Effect Legendary Edition. New episodes of that are out every Friday. And you can find those videos and much, much more at youtube.com slash thepopularcourt. Thanks again, everyone, very much for listening. Please join us again next time. And have a great week. Mm-hmm.